All right, take your Bible this evening, if you would, turn with me to Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter number 2. It's good to be in church on Wednesday night. Amen. Uh, amen. If you're awake, say amen. amen. If you're asleep, say amen. amen. Well, that's different. All right, good. Uh, you can tell this is a old-fashioned independent Baptist meeting because we're starting it on Wednesday night. You know, we still have church on Wednesday night. If we just had a chicken to kill and fry and some coffee to drink, like the preacher said, we'd be all right, wouldn't we? It's good to be in church uh, tonight on Wednesday night. I know the weather is cold outside, but I'm glad that we've paid the heat bill here. And it's warm on the inside, so we might as well. We'll probably have to stay all night anyway. You know, I mean, probably going to. So don't be looking at your watch. I'm just kidding. Don't get nervous. But it's been good to be here. I appreciate the good preaching from uh, Dr. Whitehouse and the good singing from the Fugate family and then the young folks from our church. Thank you for singing that. I believe that, too. Uh, every bit of it. I actually believe that. I mean, you believe that? I believe all of that. It's good. I- I'm glad I know whose child I am. I'm glad I know whose family I'm in. Uh, a young boy went to his daddy and he said, Daddy, where would I come from? You know, that's a loaded question. And his daddy said, well, you came from God. God created us in his image. He said, all right. He said, uh, that's not good. And he went to his mother. You know how that, you guys know how that is. He went to ask mom. He said, mom, where did I come from? His mom said, well, you got here from monkeys. We all evolved from monkeys and uh, a monkey and, a mon- and then finally you came along. Now, I wouldn't have believed that till tonight. And some of you, but anyway, he said, we came from monkeys. The boy went back to his daddy and said, Daddy, you lied to me. And the daddy said, What do you mean? He said, Well, you said I got here from God. And Mommy said that we came from monkeys. He said, Son, she's talking about her side of the family. And, um, but I'm glad I know whose family I'm in. I'm glad to be a child of God. And before I preach quickly, I just want to say thank you to uh, our pastor for letting uh, the church host a conference like this and having the vision to do it. And thank you to Brother Davis for all the work. I've talked to him several times on the phone the last couple of weeks, and he's always out running, doing something to prepare for this, and he's excited. I was in the restroom getting some fuzz off my collar from my coat before the service, and all of a sudden I was washing my hands, and I hear somebody scream and holler in the bathroom. That's never a good thing, especially in there. Uh, I turn around, and it's Brother Davis. And his eyes are bugging out of his head. He'd already chugged a case of Red Bull, and he's ready to go. And I appreciate all the work he's put into this, and it's been good. And uh, if you're able to stand, stand with me. Luke chapter 2, and we'll read verse 41 down through verse number 52, the end of the chapter. And if you do have time, make sure you go by and see the college. It's a good school. And uh, it seems like fewer and fewer schools you can say that about anymore, but it's a good school. It's an unashamed school, old-fashioned school, and I appreciate what goes on out there. Take some time and go by there and pray about what God would have you to do when it comes to college. And I want God to look in on this meeting tonight. I want God to move and work. A man was breaking into a house, and he heard a voice whisper in the darkness as he lurked through the house at night, Jesus is watching you. And that, of course, caught him off guard, a little, little nervous. And again, he heard the voice whisper, Jesus is watching you. He kept sneaking through the house, and again, he heard it, Jesus is watching you. He never seen or heard anything like it. And he flipped the light on and he saw a parrot in a cage. And that parrot looked at him and said, Jesus is watching you. That burglar said, parrot, you idiot. He said, what's your name anyway? He said, Clarence. He said, what kind of dummy names a parrot Clarence? He said, the same dummy that named our pit bull Jesus. Um, <laughs> but I do. I want God to look in on us. I mean, really, I do. And I believe that he will. Luke chapter 2, verse number 41. The Bible said, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child, Jesus, tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. And they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. 
When they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is, as far as I can tell, the single event. And it's the sole example that you and I have in the Bible recorded for us of Jesus as a young man. This is it. And so I figure, especially for where you are in life, it's important that you pay attention to this passage of Scripture. The Bible says that Joseph and Mary go to Jerusalem to fulfill their requirements. Uh, it was time of Passover, and they're there for a number of days, and they leave, and they notice Jesus isn't with them. For three days, they seek Jesus sorrowfully. And finally, the Bible says they locate him in the temple. This shocked Mary. It surprised her. She didn't expect it. She would have figured Jesus would have been just like every other young person, but he wasn't. She asked him the question, why have you dealt this way with me? And in verse 49, he responds and said, how was it that you sought me? He's almost shocked that she would wonder about where he was. He said, wished you not, that means don't you know, that I must be about my father's business. For just a few moments this evening, I just want to preach on this thought. We'll stay in these verses. I want you to think on this thought. Wished you not that I'm a young fundamentalist. I believe that's what Jesus is saying. Don't you know that my desire is to be in the house of God? Don't you know that my heart is to serve God, to love God, and to worship God, and to glorify God? Wished you not that I'm a young fundamentalist. That's why we call this conference what we call it. It's not just to be cute or cliche. We're hoping to raise up a generation and to encourage a generation of young fundamentalists. Let's pray and we'll get into the thought this evening. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be in church. God, it's been very good to be here already. God, I just pray for power to preach. God, I pray that you would drive truth not into somebody's head but deep into somebody's heart. God, I pray that you'd stir somebody. I pray that you'd move in their life. Help us to resolve to put a, a stake in the ground tonight and resolve to be. I'm, say, I'm going to be an old-fashioned fundamentalist. I'm just going to be that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Recently, I saw an interview on television where a man was speaking with Michael Jordan, the basketball player. And the interviewer asked Michael Jordan, how is it that you developed your game? And I thought it was interesting what Michael Jordan said. He said this, when I was a young man, I had to learn the fundamentals of basketball. You can have all the physical ability in the world, but you still have to know the fundamentals. What I think he's saying is this, as a young man, I became a basketball fundamentalist. And that's why I ended up being so great at the game of basketball. A fundamental is something that is essential. It's something that is necessary. It's something that if it's changed or if it's altered, it completely changes and then alters something else. For example, an engine is fundamental to a car. You can drive a car without a, a, a horn in the steering wheel. And you can drive a car without air conditioning. But a car is worthless if it doesn't have an engine. It's a completely essential. It's fundamental. Dribbling is fundamental to basketball. Now, I'm not talking about the dribbling you did in the car on the way to youth conference today. I mean dribbling a ball, bouncing it. Dribbling is fundamental to basketball. If you were to take dribbling out of the game of basketball, 
you'd no longer have the game in the way it was originally intended to be. Keys or a keyboard is fundamental to a piano. If you take the keyboard off a piano, then you no longer have a piano. Now you have a big harp on four legs, and I don't think anybody could play the thing anyway. It's fundamental. Let's get real serious and spiritual. Fried, uh, let's see, a grease and flour is essential to good chicken. It's fundamental, right? You ask a preacher what his favorite kind of food is, and he always says the same thing, fried. Doesn't matter, just fried. So here's what we can say. We can say that somebody who believes an engine is necessary to a car is a car fundamentalist. We can say somebody that adheres to dribbling in the game of basketball, well, they're a basketball fundamentalist. Somebody who thinks keys or believes that the keys are essential to playing a piano, then they are a piano fundamentalist. You see, a fundamentalist is something that is essential. And a fundamentalist is somebody who believes in, practices, and will even defend those fundamentals. The same thing applies to Christianity as well. I believe the truths of the Bible are essential. I believe the truths in this Bible are to be unchanged. I believe these truths are completely necessary. In fact, I'll go so far to say if you alter one truth, then you've changed the entire book. If you change one truth, you've maligned my entire faith. If you change one truth, then we no longer have Christianity the way God intended it to be. For example, the virgin birth of Christ is fundamental. If somebody tries to say that Christ was born like you and I are born, then he's a liar. Uh, he's not telling you the truth. If you take that out of our book here, then we can't be saved. And Christ would be a sinner like you and I were sinners. He wasn't born like we were born. He's born of a virgin conceived by the Holy Ghost. It's a fundamental. Uh, the death of Christ on the cross for the sins of mankind is fundamental. Christ did not just die for the, the sum or the few. He died for the world. Whosoever will, they can be saved. That's fundamental. The fact that he rose from the dead, that's fundamental. Any old man can die, only God can die and then come back to life again. That is fundamental. The fact that God gave us his word, he inspired this Bible, he's preserved his word for us, that is fundamental. It cannot be altered and it cannot be changed. And there's other examples, but all of these truths are necessary and essential to the Christian faith. So when I say that I'm a fundamentalist, what I'm saying is this, I'm a Christian I can draw the circle even smaller. I'm a Baptist. I can draw it even smaller than that. I'm an independent Baptist. Even smaller than that, I'm an independent fundamental Baptist. I'm a fundamentalist. That means that I believe in, adhere to, and will even contend and defend those truths that are essential to my faith. The Bible gives us our resume in Jude 3 that we're to earnestly contend for the faith. So to say that I'm a fundamentalist is to say I believe in the virgin birth of Christ. I believe that he died for the sins of mankind. I believe that He rose from the dead. I believe that He's coming again visibly and bodily. Amen. I believe that He gave us His Word. This is not the thoughts of man. It's the very Word of God here in your Bible here this evening. And I believe those truths. And I'll even contend and stand up for those truths. I'm a fundamentalist. Now, how many of you believe like that as well? Well, good. This sermon will be appropriate for tonight then. Wish you not that I'm a young fundamentalist. And I want you to listen just for a minute. Jerusalem is crowded as Jewish pilgrims from throughout the region, make their way from their homes to the city of David. Streets are busy. And the marketplace resounds with the voices of peddlers and merchants selling their wares to passers-by. I can see as long lines begin to form at tables as men wait to deal with the money changers. Animals are led through the narrow passageways to be sold in preparation for sacrifices and meals. It's the first month of the Jewish calendar year, and the time of the Passover feast has come. A man from Nazareth. Just a common carpenter named Joseph has made the trip to Jerusalem with his wife Mary and her son. Twelve years have passed. 
since the unforgettable night that a star shone brightly over a stable in Bethlehem. An angel sung to announce the birth of a baby boy. It's been over a decade since a young Jewish mother named Mary had peered into the face of her boy for the very first time. Now that baby is no longer wrapped in swaddling clothes, nor is he lying in a manger. But now that baby's a young man some 12 years of age. In our text passage, the Bible says in verse 41 that Joseph made this trip to Jerusalem every year. But this occasion is the first time since Jesus was a baby that Jesus accompanied Joseph on his trip to Jerusalem. My mind can't comprehend the excitement and the emotions that must have been brewing within the heart of Jesus as he visited Jerusalem. Now, we understand that Jesus was 100% God. But we also know that Jesus is 100% man, was 100% man. And on the human side of things, how exciting this must have been. This was a big occasion. Every young Jewish boy must have reverently anticipated a trip to Jerusalem. Jesus was from a country town. He was raised in simplicity. His family was just common folk. On the natural side of things, he must have been overwhelmed and even awed by the array of sights and the size and the busyness of the city. Oh, but can you imagine on the spiritual side of things? Can you imagine the emotion that must have stirred within his bosom as he thought about the city of Jerusalem and the impact that place would have on his own ministry in the years that would soon come? No doubt as Jesus stood there in the city, he thought about the Garden of Gethsemane not too far away. Maybe he saw looming in the distance an old craggy hill they called Calvary. For the first time with uh, mature human eyes, Jesus would see the temple of God rising above the city of Jerusalem. The temple was more than just a building to the Jewish people. It was the very center of their existence. The house of God was not just another thing which revolved around their life. Rather, the house of God was the very hub upon which their life revolved around. Palaces, houses, and gardens lined the streets leading up to the temple. The temple would have been in every respect impressive. It was impressive in the fact that it was elevated above the city on a rising hill. It was impressive in its architecture with various gates and walls, porches and terraces. It was impressive in its several courts and garden areas. It was impressive in its materials. It was covered in marble and brass and cedarwood and gold. It was impressive in its capacity. It could hold a crowd of over 210,000 people within its walls. It was impressive in its religious significance. For this is where the priests would minister in the holy place. This is where the golden candlestick would sit and the table of showbread was and the altar of incense. And within the veil of the holy of holies is where the high priest would make atonement for the sins of the people. In every respect, this building was fitted for the expression the house of God. And the Bible says in verse 42 and verse 43 that Joseph had fulfilled the custom of the Passover in accordance with Jewish law. They'd already eaten the Passover meal. They'd already offered their sacrifice. And know that they'd been in the city now a number of days. Having been away from home now for a number of days, I can imagine how rushed, how hurried Mary and Joseph must have been to pack their belongings and start back for Nazareth. In their rush, the couple begins their trip back home, having overlooked the fact that they'd forgotten something kind of important there in Jerusalem. Verse 44 says, But they supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. And they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. A day's worth of walking on the dusty road uh, toward Nazareth jars loose the thinking of Mary and Joseph. All of a sudden, they look around them and they understand Jesus is not there. I can almost imagine how frantic and how worried Mary as a mother must have been. 
I'd say they rushed to all their acquaintances and rushed to all their family and they even asked amongst Jesus' cousins and they asked if anybody had seen their son and to their horror, Jesus wasn't there. In verse 45, the Bible said, and when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. Now a day's worth of walking toward Nazareth turns into another day's worth of walking back to Jerusalem in search of Jesus. The city would have still been crowded. Merchants would have still been peddling their wares. Crowds would have still been gathered in the alleyways. I can see as Mary and Joseph weave their way through the marketplace and they begin to ask strangers and familiar faces alike if anybody had seen their son, Jesus, anywhere. In verse 46, the Bible said, And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. After three days of worrying and after three days of sorrowful seeking, the Bible says that Mary and Joseph find Jesus in the temple. And he's situated within a crowd of leading Jewish religious figures. And the doctors are astonished at the wisdom and the understanding and the cunning and the answer that Jesus was providing them. In verse 48, Mary uh, begins to act like a mama does. She asks Jesus a very mother-like question. She makes a very mother-like statement. And the Bible says, she says, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Let me just stop and say, there is no love like the love of a mother for her children. And if you're here tonight and you're not right with mama, you got to go home and tell her you love her because God bless a godly mother. Amen. I can understand Mary's heart must have been breaking. Her mind must have been racing. For three days she'd sought him. For three days she'd worried. For three days her heart was breaking. For three days tears had stained her cheeks and her bed had been a place of no rest whatsoever. And she says, Jesus, don't you know, for three days I've looked for you. For three days I've wondered about you. For three days I've been worrying about your whereabouts. The answer of Christ seems to come so easily and so quickly. And Jesus almost seems shocked that his mother would wonder about where he was. In verse 49, he said to them, How is it that you sought me? Wish you not that I must be about my father's business? It never even crossed his mind that they'd have to wonder about where he was. He felt so at home in the house of God. In essence, Jesus responds to Mary. And he says, Mom, why are you so shocked? He says, Mom, why are you so surprised? Mom, why are you so taken back? Mom, why did it take you so long to find me? Mom, why didn't you check the house? house of God first. Didn't you realize I'd be in the temple? Didn't you know I love God? Didn't you know my heart is here in this house? Didn't you know I've got a desire, a yearning, an itch, a compelling, a hunger to be about the Father's business? I can see Jesus standing there just a boy, 12 years old. I see the doctors of the law standing around him. There's Mary worried to death as this scene unfolds and Jesus responds to her and he says, I know that to you, I'm just a young man. I understand to you that I'm just a child. I get it. You think I'm just a regular teenager. You expect me to be like everybody else. He said, but wish you not that I'm serious about serving God. Wish you not that I've got a heart to do my father's business. Wish you not that I'm not like every other young person. Wish you not that I'm at home in the father's house. Wish you not that my business is my father's business and I've got to be about that business. In essence, it's like Jesus says this, Mom, didn't you know that I'm a young man? Yes, 
that I'm a young man who happens to be a fundamentalist. Wish you not that I might be young. I'm not as old as others, but I'm already a fundamental child of God. Wish you not that I may be a youth, but I'm not looking to be like every other youth in the world. I've got a higher calling. I've got a higher aim. I've got higher aspirations. I'm not going to wait till I'm old. I'm not going to get a late start. I'm not going to let the gray heads take care of it. I'm not going to bide my time till I've reached middle age. I'm going to get plugged in now. I'm going to serve God now. I'm going to sell out now. I'm going to get serious now. I want to get plugged in and do something for God. I'm not going to meet the expectations of the culture. I'm not going to fall into the trap of my age bracket. I must be about my father's business. I can see Mary. She's so surprised. It's like Mary must have forgotten what happened in Bethlehem 12 years earlier. Maybe Mary forgot about the fact the angels had come and prophesied to her that she'd have a baby unlike any other baby ever born. Maybe she'd forgotten about the fact that as she had that baby in that manger, that angels sung happy birthday to him. Maybe she'd forgotten about the fact that the shepherds had come with their flocks to worship that baby. Maybe she'd forgotten about the fact that Herod tried to kill him and he couldn't. Maybe she forgot about the fact that wise men came later bearing him gifts. You see, Jesus was not status quo. Jesus was not going to fit the mold. Jesus was not going to be up to the world's standard. Jesus was different. Jesus was special. Jesus was a young man, yes, but he was already serious about serving. God. Now let me apply this to you here this evening. I'm convinced that the will of God for my life and the will of God for your life is for you and I both to be like Jesus. We're not to be like a celebrity. We're to be like Christ. We're not to be like some political figure. We're to be like Christ. We're not to be like your favorite athlete. We're to be like Christ. He wants our thoughts to be like the thoughts of Jesus. He wants our talk to be like the talk of Jesus. He wants our love to be like the love of Jesus. And God wants our walk to be like the walk of Jesus. I've heard this illustration. Some of you have probably used it. A little boy got saved in Sunday school. And the Sunday school teacher said, now that you're saved, Jesus lives within you. That boy said, I've got a problem with that. She said, what do you mean? He said, well, Jesus is God. She said, that's right. He said, well, don't you reckon if God lives in me, he's so big, he'll stick out. Sure he will. That's exactly what God wants. Our model for life is not found in a magazine. It's found in Christ. Our example is not found on a sitcom. It's found in Christ. Our goal is not to live up to the standard of the world. We want to fit into the expectation of society. Our standard is Christ. And our expectation is to be Christ-like. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus was a fundamentalist. But park it. Wait a minute. He was not a fundamentalist beginning when he turned water into wine. He wasn't a fundamentalist only when he told Nicodemus he had to get born again. He wasn't just a fundamentalist whenever he walked on water and told the wind to lie down and be still. He didn't begin to be a fundamentalist when he fed a multitude on a mountainside with some biscuits and bass. Amen right there. He didn't just start to be a fundamentalist when he called Lazarus out of the tomb. He didn't just begin to walk as a fundamentalist whenever he was transfigured on the mountainside. No, Jesus was a fundamentalist even as a young man. And if God wants you and God wants me to be like Jesus, then I I reckon you and I ought to resolve to go ahead and get sold out, serious, and be an old-fashioned fundamentalist as a young person as well. There's a wicked trend today that's trickling all across the country and trickling all through our churches where more people are trying to mirror the world than mimic their Christ, mimic God. And young folks are swallowing the poisonous pill of the devil. And they're swallowing the lie that says you need to be fundamental when you're middle-aged.
And you can be a fundamentalist when your mom and dad's age. And you can be a fundamentalist whenever you're your papa or preacher's age. But can I tell you something? Being a fundamental Christian is not an age-dependent proposition. It's a salvation-dependent proposition. And if you're saved, you're just as obligated and just as able to be a fundamentalist as Pastor Fugate is. And to be a fundamentalist as Dr. Jorgensen is, or a fundamentalist as Dr. Whitehouse is, or a fundamentalist as Dr. Well, bad example. I mean, no, as Dr. Young is. He's had it rough tonight. Anyway, uh, God expects you now to go ahead and get plugged in. You see, the world applauds the basketball fundamentalist. The world cheers on the musical fundamentalist. We name roads after business fundamentalists. We put pictures of dead political fundamentalists. Oh, I've got her Washingtons on our money. But can I tell you something? Better than the world's applause is God's approval. And while the world cheers them on, God smiles on biblical Christian fundamentalists. The Bible's not a record book of how God blessed the liberal. Everybody all right? The Bible's not a record book of how God used the compromiser. The Bible's not a record book of how God used those who turned back in the day of battle. This book heralds those who said, I'm going to be old-fashioned and fundamental and stay by the stuff and stand for God. My prayer is that God would raise up a new crop of old-fashioned, unashamed, I mean belligerent, Bible-believing, fundamental Baptist people who say, I'm going to live pure. I'm going to be holy. I'm going to raise the standard. I won't drop the ball. I won't fumble the baton. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to alter. I don't want something else. I want the same thing and more of it. I want to be a young fundamentalist. Now, I've got to hurry. It's getting late. But I want you to understand something. Young means opposite of old. And fundamental means essential. So what I'm saying is this. You got a result to say, I'm not as old as everybody else, but I still believe these essential truths anyway. I might be a young person, but I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I might be a young person, but I believe Jesus was the virgin-born Son of God. I might be a young person, but I believe Jesus died for my sins on the cross of Calvary, and He's the only way to heaven. I appreciate the song they sang. It fit right into my sermon. I might be a young person, but I believe the Lord is coming soon. I might be a young person, but I want to live separated and holy so I can please God. I am a young fundamentalist. I'm not a liberal. I'm not a compromiser. I'm not a neo-evangelical. I'm not a skeptic. I'm not impressed with modernized religion. I'm not even critical of my forefathers. I'm unashamed of my heritage. I'm a young fundamentalist. For me, it's the will of God. For me, it's the work of God. For me, it's the wants of God. For me, it's the Word of God. Wish you not that I'm a young fundamentalist. As a young fundamentalist, you follow in some mighty good footsteps. Can you imagine stepping in the footsteps of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Can you imagine following in the footsteps of a young man named Daniel? Can you imagine picking up the sling of a David to follow the giants of your generation? Can you imagine standing in the shoes of a young girl like Mary, or a young mother like Hannah, or a young boy like Samuel, who served God even in his adolescence, we stand in some mighty big footsteps. In my generation you have to resolve to say this. In my generation truth will be proclaimed. Christ will be glorified. The flag will be lifted. I will not drop the baton. I will not trade out the gospel for some other message. I'm a young fundamentalist. Keep your rock music. I'll take psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Keep your perverted sitcoms. I'll set no wicked thing before my eye. You can have your immodesty. I'll keep modesty and holy living. You can 
have your NIV and paraphrased perversion Bible. I think I'll keep the King James Bible. I'm a young fundamentalist. You can attend your coffee bar Bible club. I like the local church. I'm a young fundamentalist. I might be young, but I am fundamental. I don't have gray hairs yet, but I'm fundamental. I don't have a roadmap of wrinkles on my face yet, but I'm fundamental. I don't have arthritis, bursitis, or even gingivitis. Pray for me. But I'm fundamental. I still have my vision. I still have my hearing. I still have my hair. I still have my mind. I have most of my teeth. I'm a young fundamentalist. Wish you not that I love old time religion. Wish you not that I love hard preaching. Wish you not that I love soul winning. Wish you not that I love prayer meetings. Wish you not that I love my church. Wish you not that I love Jesus. Jesus wasn't the expected. He wasn't the norm. He wasn't the average. But he was fundamental. We don't need to be popular with man. Want to be popular with God. You don't need to be known by the world, but you ought to make headlines in heaven. You ought to be you ought to long not to please people, but to put a smile on the face of Jesus. Be a young fundamentalist. Jesus is my goal. Jesus is my aim. Jesus is my target. Jesus is where I'm heading. I want to be like Him. I've heard it's not how you start, it's how you finish. But can I tell you something? Most folks who finish well started right. Jesus didn't wait till adulthood or old age to love God or to serve God or to learn the truths of God. He did it as a 12-year-old boy. Today, right now, immediately, for you bilingual folks, pronto. It is the time to drive a stake in the dirt and say, you know what? I'm going to be a fundamentalist. I'm not going to drop my standard. I'm not going to sell out. I'm going to be fundamental. In an age infatuated with technology, I'm going to fall in love with truth. In a day obsessed with carnality, I'm going to get obsessed with being holy. In a day that's loaded down with weights from the world, I'm going to cast the weight aside and run my race. In a day that's tossing aside spiritual things, I'm going to pick up that mantle and I'm going to wear it proudly. Wish you not, I've got no appetite for sin. I've got no stomach for compromise. I've got no affection for this world. And I'll give no place to the devil. I'm a young fundamentalist. Listen, I'm not looking to quit. I'm not looking to change. I look across this crowd now as I sit in that chair and I thought, I'm going to preach for some of these young men maybe 10 or 15 years from now if you won't change. i tell you what keeps me up at night every once in a while. I was wondering where I'm going to preach in 20 years. Some of you who listen to me in youth conference, you're going to be pastoring. And I won't preach for you if you bring in that contemporary music. I won't preach for you if you trade your Bibles out. I won't preach for you if you don't have Baptist on your church side. See, I haven't heard preaching like yeah, listen to what they preached even ten years ago. Listen, you say I'm the next generation, yeah, but we're working on this thing now. We're staying on this wall now. We're building this thing right now. Listen, I'm a young fundamentalist. I'm going to ask for old paths. I'm going to run my race and finish my course and keep the faith. I like the song. It says, Jesus is my Savior. I shall not be moved. In His loving favor, I shall not be moved. Just like a tree planted by the water, I shall not be moved. I don't care how many blogs they write. It ain't going to move me. I don't care how many Twitter critters get upset about it. I heard that at church growth conference. Some preacher said it. Uh, I'm not going to be moved. I, I don't care. I don't care who else changes and who else quits. I'm not going to be moved. Listen, sin's not going to move me. And my contemporaries who compromise, they're not going to move me. And friends who go their own direction, they're not going to move me. I shall not be moved. My spiritual business card does not say quitter. It doesn't say slouch. It doesn't say slacker. It says steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I wish you not. I'm a young fundamentalist. Listen, tonight my prayer is this. Would you just make a, a covenant with God that if Jesus could do it at 12 years old, you can do it at 15. If Jesus could do it at 12 years old, surely you can do it now that you're 17, get ready to go. Listen, my heroes aren't athletes. 
There are preachers and missionaries and soul winners and Sunday school teachers and bus workers. My goal is God. My desire is His will. My purpose is His glory. There is no unwritten rule that you have to be uninterested in God until you're 50. There's no, uh, there's no unwritten rule that says you can't serve God now. My grandfather lied to get in the Navy. He fought in World War II. He lied to get in the Navy at 16 years old. Surely if 16-year-olds can die for our country, some of you could live for your Savior now. I'm not ashamed. I'm not going to apologize. I'm sure not looking to assimilate. I just want to be an old-fashioned fundamentalist. I want more of it, not less of it. Three days they sought him. Where did they find him? In the house of God. Three words came to mind. I'm not going to preach them. Just going to, number one, peculiar. It blew Mary's mind. She supposed him to be somewhere else. The world will never understand that. A, a young person who loves God, serves God, wants to live clean. But can I tell you something? That's exactly how it's supposed to be. They think it's strange that you're not with them. But I am a peculiar people. Royal priesthood. Amen. High priest with God. Number one, peculiar. Number two, I thought about passion. Three days. Jesus didn't skip out one of those days to go to the ball field. And I'm not, for, I'm not against sports. I'm for it. He didn't skip out one of those days. The Bible doesn't tell us that he, that he went to the arena and watched the gladiators or anything like that. But for three days, he kept himself in church. Constantly in the house. He's passionate. I asked an old man once, an old preacher in the mountains. I said, how do you get ready for church? How do you get the right frame of mind? He said, I just sit by myself and I thank Jesus till it stirs me. Can I tell you what? We need some young people who just get obsessed with that. My passion, serving God, number one, peculiar. Number two, his passion. Thirdly, he knew his purpose. Sure, he was going to die on the cross of Calvary some 20 years later. But if he was going to be successful in fulfilling his purpose, he was already going to have to get plugged in and serious about doing the will of God even as a young person. Potential is unseen, but potential is everywhere in this room. But you being successful tomorrow is all about you getting straight with God and doing, right, doing the right thing today. A lot of potential has been sacrificed on the altar of rebellion at a young age. Wish you not, I'm a young fundamentalist. Listen, I want you to resolve to do it with me. Go with me. 30 years from now, I'll still be preaching. You'll be in the ministry. And we'll look back on the youth conference and say, man, aren't you glad that we stayed the course? Aren't you glad we stayed on the wall? Wish you not, I'm a young fundamentalist. Listen, let's bow our close your eyes. That's the thought for tonight. God laid that on my heart probably a couple of days ago to preach this evening. Maybe you're here tonight and say, Preacher, pray for me as a young person, a young man, a young lady. I want to make that commitment. I don't want to be drawn by the world or worried about the approval of, of lost people. I want to please God. I want to serve God. I want to stay plugged in for God. Even now, I want to resolve to do right. And you raise your hands and say, Pray for me. Balcony and down here, say, Pray for me. God spoke to my heart. Good. Many of you. That's exciting. All over this building. How about a raise your hands and say, Pray for me. That's a blessing. Listen, you can put your hands back down. Listen, you're a young man, but if God called you to preach, you're already a preacher, man. You're not going to be a man of... You're already a man of God right now. If God called you to preach, God expects the same thing out of you He does for me. Here right now is a young man. He said, God's called me to preach. I want, I want to ask you, you raise your hand and say, pray for me, preacher. I want to stay straight. I want to stay where God wants me to be. And raise your hand and pray for me. God's called me to preach, and I don't want to let him down. Good. I appreciate those hands all over this, but that's exciting. That's exactly what we need. Maybe there's some young ladies and young men here. God's called you to be a missionary already. You say, pray for me, preacher. I don't want to drop the ball now. So that I miss the purpose and will of God later. Say, I want to, I want to serve God. I want to get plugged in now as a young person. You, say, you raise your hand and say, pray for me. God's called me to do something like that. And just pray for me that I'd stay the course. I appreciate those hands. Thank you for that. Maybe you're here and you 
be honest with me, as a young person, say, I've been flirting around with the wrong kind of things. Listen to the wrong kind of music. Just because it says Christian on the CD cover doesn't mean it is. Reading the wrong kind of books. Listen to the wrong kind of things. Say, preacher, pray for me. I need to get that stuff out of my life. I don't want that kind of influence. I want to be a, a fundamentalist. I want to be an old-fashioned, Bible-believing Christian. Say, pray for me. I needed that. You raise your hand right now. Say, pray for me. Good. I appreciate those hands. Thank you for that. That's a blessing. Listen, I'm going to pray the altar will be open. If you have a need tonight, you come kneel to this altar. Do business with God. If you're not sure you're saved right now tonight, say, preacher, if I were to die tonight, I'm not sure I'm ready to meet God. Listen, I don't need to see your hand because God already knows your heart. But I sure would like to pray for you if you'd let me. Right now, you raise your hand and say, pray for me, preacher. I'm not sure I'm ready to meet God for to die tonight. I'm not sure I'm saved. Right now, you raise your hand and say, pray for me. Up and right back down. You have to hold it up and say, pray for me. All right. I can't. You just hold it up there so I can see it. All right. Listen, I'm going to pray the altar reveal. Can you come pray if God spoke to your heart? Lord, I pray that you bless now. I pray that you do something in these days. God, you've brought everybody here for a purpose. I believe that. And I pray that you take the first message and then the second message and you drive those truths home into their hearts. God, help us to resolve to make a difference, to influence others, not to sell out, not to change, but to do more of what we've been handed down, to keep pressing forward, to be a young fundamentalist in Jesus' name.